This is the podcast for Indelible, a documentary in progress for the week of April 8th, 2018. I spent some time with the trial documents of the former kid survivor, Artie Ray Dufer, or Baker, at the National Archives last week after overcoming the tribulations to access them as outlined in the previous podcast. As I mentioned, I wanted to access this trial document to confirm information in news articles that I had read on the shooting of the former customs officer, Kenneth Gerald Ward. He went by Jerry, by the name of Jerry. Um, Just one brief thing about him is that he had worked at the the Mexican border um, between Mexico and California prior to um, heading up to uh, the border uh, in BC at Linden. That was in the trial documents. One thing which was becoming increasingly disturbing was how the date of his shooting was misstated by a Seattle Times reporter in close to 10 articles. And this was the reporter who was present during the trial and reporting on it. He was in the courtroom. As I said before, in 1979, there was much stronger editorial control over what was printed. There was staff whose job it was to specifically make sure facts like dates were correct. Yet somehow the Seattle Times had allowed this reporter to misstate the date of the shooting of Ward many times, and it was never corrected. There was one article where it was correct later on, and um, the other ones, the other articles were never corrected. I called the Seattle Times last week and talked to an editor about this issue who looked up the articles in their database. He said he knew the reporter and that although retired, was still around. He said he thought he would likely talk to me. He took my number and said he'd give it to him. But so far, I haven't heard back. That afternoon, I went to the archives, the National Archives in Seattle, and I found something. The main witness for the prosecution in DeFer's trial was a former DEA officer who I have mentioned I interviewed a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to now refer to him as M, just the initial M. He stated in court that he stood in the customs house soon after the shooting and saw DeFer with a smoking gun standing over the body of Ward. I've said how I don't fully understand how he then ran from DeFer who was shooting at him, as Marie, Dufer's wife, held open the door, the door of the customs house. I was later told by Dufer that M never entered the customs house and only looked in the window. And this made more sense, as I could see Dufer stepping into the doorway of the customs house and shooting as M ran away. But this is not what M said in court under oath. Back to the misstating of the dates in the Seattle Times. So the Times reporter wrote that the shooting occurred on April 24th and April 25th, 1979. And he wrote this multiple times in multiple articles. The court documents clearly state the shooting occurred on May 24th, 1979. Was there any useful reason for anyone to have misstated this date publicly, I wondered. 
The trial docs did provide a possible answer. M, the former DEA agent, stated during his interview with me that he had been involved in a major drug bust during that time. And Dufour also recently confirmed this. He brought it up on his own. I didn't ask him about it. Within the archives of the trial records, there were more old news articles. In one was an old and odd op-ed from the Seattle Times. It occurred after all the misstated dates in the other Times articles. It had no name associated with it, but was generated by editorial staff at the Times. It linked the shooting of Ward and the drug bust by date. It gave just enough information to look up the news articles on the drug bust. What I then learned was that on May 22nd, 1979, at 6.30 a.m., two days prior to the shooting of Ward, who was a customs officer at a British Columbia U.S. or Canadian U.S. border at Linden, a major drug bust occurred not too far away in British Columbia. A ship, the and I may mispronounce this, the San Marcanda, registered in Panama, carrying over $30 million worth of marijuana and more in cocaine concealed in a welded compartment of its hold coming from Colombia, arrived at a small cove north of Sydney on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. Swarms of Canadian and U.S. law enforcement officers carried out a seizure and arrest on that ship as it was being unloaded that morning. Two Americans escaped but were later arrested. One was the skipper, who was from Montesano, Washington, which is near the coast, but had recently spent time in the jungles of Colombia. Another was a man from California who had also spent time in Port Townsend in 1978. He was responsible for arranging for the details of the ship's arrival and for a special truck which was to carry the drugs from the ship to its alleged destination in California. So to go across the border from Canada to the U.S. and down to California. It was said that the same drug lord associated with the Port Townsend man was also to have made billions of dollars in profits. I was reminded of the research of journalist Gary Webb from the San Jose Mercury, who discovered the CIA's involvement in allowing crack cocaine to come from Latin America to Los Angeles and be sold to those in poverty to fund U.S. counterinsurgency efforts. The drug shipments from British Columbia were occurring around the same time as those Webb disclosed. I then realized the misstating of the dates of Ward's shooting occurred after the drug bust occurred and was reported in the news. If it was not a mistake, one useful reason for this was to separate the date between Ward's shooting and the date of the drug shipment and seizure.
I think this is very likely. Was the strange op-ed an effort by some editor with a conscience to link them back together? Maybe, as it certainly did. I also learned M, the former DEA agent, was off-duty that day when he just happened to appear at the Linden border crossing, sitting in front of the customs house, as Dufur walked in with a loaded gun and shot Ward. As I've said, Dufur was a highly trained soldier of sorts. He would not walk into a police station, the customs house, with a loaded gun without knowing the consequences. But he took his wife with him. They drew attention when crossing the border by having no luggage and by looking ragtag. And the trial docs state that Ward looked up their California license plate in the National Criminal Database and found problems with it. It was this that caused him to walk them into the customs house where he just happened to be alone that day. So that's a little different than what the newspaper article said. This was in the trial document. Marie's presence protected Dufer if there had been another plan to end his life. Just as he had often protected his trainer during transactions of guns for money, as he described in his letter. And that's in the podcast called The Hide. Part of his letter is in there. M, the off-duty DEA agent, is the one who gave chase to Dufer and to Marie in their brown Chevy Vega after the shooting. M, the off-duty DEA agent, is also the one who asked for a transfer to Denver a week prior to the shooting. And after the shooting, his job in Denver was defunded, but he still had to move. Was it M's role to kill Dufer after Ward was shot? It seems likely. But Marie's presence likely caused a problem and stopped that from occurring. The trial docs stated an ambulance carrying Ward, or Ward's body, radioed to St. Luke's Hospital that Ward had been shot four times. This is contrary to what was said recently in an email allegedly by Dufer, but I do not doubt the dispatcher's records, as they were a neutral third party. As an aside, um, emails allegedly from Dufer in prison have become increasingly odd, and um, they have made me question whether a staff or law enforcement is involved in their writing. After I called executive staff and government regarding rules over such interference in communications with inmates in federal prison, an email Defer wrote weeks ago appeared in the list of emails to me that he sent, which had never appeared before. It was a normal-sounding email with concerns about his safety, and it made sense. Yet this was held back for weeks. Would it have appeared if I hadn't made those inquiries? I don't know. Back to the shooting at Linden. And as far as um, Defer's multiple false IDs that he had at, at the border crossing, those were found later in a search of their car 
the trial documents state this. It was the job of those like Dufer's trainer when he was a kid, the, the special forces person, and those carrying out contract work for the U.S. government to complete specific assignments, including shootings of those who were in the way. In the 1960s and 70s, this was occurring regularly. Such contracts were described in documents which came out during the Iran-Contra investigations. Eugene Hassenfoss, the sole survivor in a CIA-contracted flight which crashed over Nicaragua with a cargo of guns, confirmed these contracts under oath. And it was that crash that started the Iran-Contra investigation. As did Patrick Hemming regarding his mercenary activity in Cuba. The CIA initially denied these were government contracts, but later, because of congressional inquiries, they had to retract the statement so the public learned they had undertaken contracts. In the case of the drug shipments Webb uncovered, there has been no admission regarding these shipments and their sale and evidence, including human beings who participated, merely disappeared. Webb himself was murdered, yet it was listed as a suicide. Somehow he shot himself two times in the head. His persistence had become intolerable, as Bill Pepper describes. The same agents who were part of the drug bust and ward shooting in Linden, Washington, on May 24, 1979, are the same parties who, with the Department of Homeland Security, appeared unannounced and so illegally at Dufer's last parole commission hearing and made statements so he would be held forever in federal prison beyond the expiration of his sentence. This, too, again, was illegal. It appears Dufer's release poses an embarrassment for those in the U.S. government who may have participated in illegal drug shipments across the U.S. border at Linden, Washington. Dufer was merely a kid in poverty at the age of 15 when he was targeted by his trainer, a man highly revered in the U.S. military special forces. Dufer traveled freely across the borders multiple times, to Canada, to Spain, to France, until this one May evening, was it the end of his life cycle as a participant in these contracts? Maybe. But just as in the case of Jean Hassenfass, something went wrong and his life was protected. Hassenfass just happened to carry a parachute against CIA rules on that flight, and everyone else perished but him. Defer brought Marie. Marie's poem, written at the courthouse on the eve of their arraignment, might provide some insights. Here it is again. To kill a man I had to do. To kill a wife I love so much. Defer did not get to make a rational choice as to whether to enter into this kind of activity. He was just a kid in poverty. The U.S. agents at the border that night did make adult choices. Yet they want Defer to be the only one who pays that is the way of the military. That is the way of our now corrupt law enforcement. The kids pay. 
but defer and ever join the military. See, that's the problem. And he's not the only one.